Thank you. God bless you. I'm trading places with you. You've been standing. I've been sitting. So you can sit while I stand. <laughs> Praise God. I, uh, Brother, you asked me if he could do this prayer chain, and I'd greatly appreciate it because... Uh, the very first call to war, even though it wasn't called call to war, was in Singapore in March 2011. And here we are five years later, and it is actually being called call to war. And uh, I'm a little reluctant to do this or how to say this. Uh, I'll just put it this way. There are 22 people coming from a nation that you would not expect them to be able to come from. A real big nation. Uh, this is being streamed, and so I'm, that's as clear as I'm going to be. Plus, there are other delegates coming from uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, Bangladesh, Philippines, uh, at the at the very least. I don't know where everybody's coming. Brother Timothy Lee's been organizing all of that, but uh, we are we're going um, four nights, three days, starting a week from Tuesday night. So if you uh, we are, after next Sunday, we will be 12 hours exactly ahead of you. So at 7 o'clock in the morning, your time, we will be starting night, church at night. And at 10 o'clock at night, your time, we will be having starting church at 10 o'clock in the morning, their time. So just add... 12 hours, and that's what day and time it is uh, in Singapore from here. Until Sunday, this coming Sunday, it's 13 hours. So after, uh, after this Sunday when uh, uh, we have uh, daylight savings time, it's 13, then it'll be 12. But uh, we do appreciate your prayers, and... Uh, these kind of meetings can have a tremendous impact on the kingdom. So therefore, it would be greatly appreciated that you would participate with us in prayer. Praise God. Uh, the pastor's not here tonight because, well, I don't know if he was planning on coming, but I saw that. I told him, I'm preaching and you're staying home. Because he's a right. And we don't always do what's best. Sometimes we're too stubborn. And uh, I didn't say this to him, but he's got to remember he's 44, not 34. <laughs> or 24. And uh, you just don't bounce back from this kind of stuff overnight. And so... I'm sure someone here will tell him that I reminded everybody he was 44. So, anyway, 
I hope that the leadership people I've been watching that talk through most of that worship is through talking. Because you know what the Bible says about an elder? You rebuke them publicly that all may fear. So I hope you're talked out. See, I'm not a pastor, I'm a bishop. Praise God. So, amen. You God good? Hallelujah. Uh, I'm going to, you've rested, so I'm going to let you stand one, just for a couple of minutes more. If you would, for the reading of the Word of God, Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did not, for whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did, did predestinate, them He also called, and whom He called. Them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You may be seated. Uh, I do not have a title for this. I, it's a message, but uh, I usually refrain from giving titles before, during, or after I preach because I'm trying to stay away from the idea this is a sermon. I don't preach sermons. I deliver messages. This is not a sermon, but it is a word from the Lord to those that have ears to hear and a heart to receive, it is a word from God. Praise God. It, uh, you don't become free from religion just because you're born again of water and the Spirit. You do not become free from religion. And there are a few looks I'm getting right now saying, what do you mean, free from religion? Isn't that what we're doing? No, that's what some of you are doing. That's not what I'm doing. I'm not here practicing a religion. In fact, scripturally, the word religion is a very negative word. Religion is man concluding what he's willing to do for God and give to God that he expects God to accept 
as his uh, payment to somehow escape uh, eternal torment. In, uh, in the Congo, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which actually separates the two countries, the, the Congo, the nation, the Congo, or, and the nation, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, is the Congo River. And while it is frowned upon and it is not legal, there are still people who throw uh, uh, very young babies into the river to the crocodiles to appease the crocodile gods out of fear. Uh, there, are, there have been island nations for centuries that would throw virgin girls into a volcano to placate an angry uh, volcano god. And you say, well, we would never do that. No, but some of us are trying to be good people to placate an angry God. And we think if we can be good enough, if we can get good grades in God's class, that we somehow can be saved. Because all religions have the exact same plan of salvation even though the names of their gods change. They all have the same plan of salvation. If you get to heaven and you've done more good than bad, you're saved. If you've done more bad than good, you're lost. That's the plan of salvation for all religions, including Christianity when practiced as a religion. And some of you wonderful, precious people... Uh, are practicing Christianity as a religion. How do I know that? Well, first of all, you think if you can't be perfect, you have no hope. <laughs> really? Now, I am not of the modern Christian thought that God is just asking you to try real hard. I read that today by, by, by the, the guy preaching in the former basketball arena. He said, God doesn't expect you to be perfect. He just asks you to try hard, to give it your best. I'd like to see chapter and verse for that. Because like a lot of things he says, it's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Trying hard to be good so you can be saved is not in the Bible. The book says, if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the sinner and the ungodly appear? If I think I can be saved by being good, I just, just absolutely dishonored the cross of Christ. Because the cross of Christ is the proof that you cannot be saved by being good. Because if I can be saved by being good, Christ didn't need to die on the cross. I am saved by faith. Not a passive faith that says, oh, I believe in Christ, so therefore I can live however I choose to live. No. I'm supposed to try to keep the word. 
Why? Because I'm going to fail. It's the process. Because by trying to obey the Word of God, I'm going to fail and I'm going to come to the conclusion that I can't do this myself and I need God to do this through me. Why? Because the power behind your efforts gets the credit for what you do. If God is the power behind your efforts, then you're going to give Him all the credit and glory. If your strength, your character, your will is behind your efforts, then you're going to take the credit for when you do well. But when you fail, oh, do we get down when we fail. What's, there's no hope. I can't get this right. I could have told you that before. In fact, I think I have a few times. You're not going to get this right. By your efforts, by your strength, by your, your will, you're not going to get this right. Because you can't do this yourself. This is not religion. This is relationship. The scripture says, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good. Isn't that that an awesome verse? That's not the verse. There's a comma there, not a period. That, That statement is qualified by the rest of the verse. It doesn't apply to everybody. It only applies to those that love God and who are called according to His purpose. You know, it's a different world on the high side of 70. Because Psalms 90 says that we are given three score and ten years if by reason or strength four score. So you understand If you're not on the high side of 70, you think it's still your life to live. But here on the high side of 70, every moment, every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every month, every year, is an added bonus blessing. Because only 70 was promised, even though a lot of people don't get there. So, on the high side of 70, just... Of course, it's been the, this way, but it's especially acutely this way now. I, I want to know why I want to keep living. Why do I want to keep living? Oh, well, because, because this is life. This is not life. The Bible says very clearly that life is the eternal life. This is temporary. It was never intended to be permanent. This is, we're all just passing through here. And if you don't believe that, blink a few minutes and you won't recognize the person in the mirror. Just take a good nap. And you won't recognize the person in the pictures that are being taken of you now. And those of you that are young enough, you don't see any real change from day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. Just give it a little time. Because I assure you, you are rapidly approaching that. Rapidly. 
The only thing, the good thing is I've noticed that when people reach a certain age, they don't look like they age anymore for the most part. They just die, you know. You, you reach a certain age and you don't change all that much because you've gone about as far downhill as you can go. So you can get to stay there for a while. So the question is that I'm asking God and myself, why would I still want to be here? Hey, wouldn't it be a great thing to have the race over with? I've never believed this was life anyway. I'm not going to commit suicide and I'm not asking to die. That's not the point. But the point is, I know this isn't permanent. We're just pilgrims and strangers here. We're just passing through. And if you believe otherwise, if your focus is otherwise, the Bible says you're of all men most miserable. Because the book says, if we have hope only in this life, if, if it's, or let me re-paraphrase that. If your hope is all about here, you're of all men most miserable. I waited as long as I could and finally did, so I filed for Social Security. And the lady that was interviewing me at my request, because there was no reason to keep waiting, they weren't going to give me any more money after my birthday. Whatever I got that month is the most it's ever going to be, except for cost of living increases. Depending on who gets president, they may try to reduce it. But she said, uh, are you retired yet? And I said, no, I'm a bishop, and that's, a, that's not an office you can retire from. Come on, come on. You cannot retire from a call of God on your life. This is not what I do. This is who I am. So, so there's no retiring. So the question is, why, why would I want to keep living? I want to keep living... For His sake and the kingdom's sake. Everything else I might benefit with that by being with my wife longer and with my children and my grandchildren and with you longer. That's all added. That's just added bonuses. Because the only reason to live is Jesus and the kingdom. Now, you may not be there yet, and I'm not going to be too hard on you if you're not. But if you don't get there someday, then you've never figured it out. So he says two things. All things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to His purpose. Now, now, if, if I ask everybody in this room, do you love God? I, I would expect probably 99.9% .9 of you would say, oh yes, I love God. Really? Now, this lady sitting over here, uh, Sister Wright, you probably need to wave your hands because somebody might not know who you are. And I, there's several ladies over there. Okay. All right. Isn't her hair beautiful? It's just beautiful. Wow. God is, God is so good. Some of you don't know why that's so special. She had breast cancer last year and lost it all. And this is all brand new and it is beautiful. Praise God. So... 
Other than Jesus, I love that person sitting right there more than anybody else in this whole wide world. Right there. And you know one of the reasons why I know that I love her? I like to be with her. There isn't any single... I love my sons. I love my, my daughters. I love my grandchildren. I love you. I've got some really good friends in the ministry. But hear me right now. If it's a choice between spending time with anybody else and her, if I've got a choice, guess what? I choose her. Why? Because I love her. So if I say I love God, but have no desire to spend time with Him, then who am I lying to? Well, Brother Wright, you know, my life is busy and I just don't have time to get down on my knees for an hour in the morning. Who said anything about an hour in the morning? I didn't say anything about an hour in the morning. I'm talking about all day. Well, I've got to work. Really. So if you're married and you're at work, then you're not married while you're at work? Are you acting like that? Oh, God help us. You see, you're married whether you're at work or not. And nowadays, you can send a little text message back and forth between the one you and the one you love and pretty much not get in too much trouble at work. Now, you can't exactly, you know, over the years, you couldn't exactly sit on the phone with your loved one for hours while you're being paid. But text messages now and then, I'm thinking of you, I love you. Can't wait to see you this evening. Hey, any boss that would begrudge a few seconds for that, they're, they're, they want the wrong kind of employee. I, I'm, I'm married when I get on an airplane, she stays here and I go. I, I'm married. Because I want to be married. Because I'm married to the person I love. So I got a question for you. If you love Jesus, why is there a complaint about spending time with Him? Why is there a dread? Why? Oh, man. I got to go to church. You see, here's, I'm going to remind you of something I've said many times. Some of you will hear it for the very first time. Here, here's the point, okay? When you all through your conversation, I'll go on. The point is, <laughs> hallelujah. Isn't it amazing sometimes the people that talk the most are the ones that need the message the most? Oh, I know why you chat during service so you don't have to listen. I'm not trying to be unkind. I love you. And, and you know, <laughs> Paul said, or the Lord said to Ezekiel, when I tell you to warn the wicked, 
and you don't warn them, then their blood's on your hands. But when I tell you to warn the wicked and you warn them, then you have delivered your soul. When I tell you to warn the righteous and you don't warn them, their blood's on your hands. But when I tell you to warn the righteous and you warn them, then you've delivered your soul. So you understand something. I've got to do everything. Every man of God's got to do everything that you have to do to be saved. But there's something else he's got to do. He's got to be willing to say what God wants him to say, how God wants him to say it. Because if he doesn't do that, now he is in trouble with God. And Paul said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. And that word is spelled W-O-E, which means uh, curses and damnation. Look it up. If I preach not the gospel. So, when this service is over with, I'm going to go over there and sit for a minute collect my stuff and I'm going to say to the Lord, Lord, by your help and grace, I said what you gave me to say and I didn't add to it and I didn't take away from it. And I said it how you wanted it said and I didn't add to that or take away from that. And I'm going to go home in peace. Now what you do with this word, that's, that's the issue, see. Because those two things are so critical. Do I really love God? Well, if you love God, you love what He loves. And get you ready for this one? And hate what He hates. Oh, God doesn't hate, then you don't read the Bible. He hates those that sow discord among the brethren. The book says that. The other things the scripture says that God hates. So if I love God, I'm going to love what He loves. I'm going to hate what He hates. But that's not all. If I, if I love God and I love what He loves, what He loves is His kingdom. His purpose. And how can I love Him if I don't love His kingdom and His purpose? I love His kingdom. I love His purpose. Why? Because the kingdom and the purpose of God is God. Because in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. And the, John 1.14 says, and the Logos was made flesh and dwelt among us. And what is the Logos? It's translated in, in most Bibles as W-O-R-D. But that is so far below what the word Logos means. It encompasses all of God's plans, purposes, intents, will. It is the fullness of the mind of God. The thoughts of God. That's what was clothed in flesh, dwelt among us, and the flesh of the Logos is what died on the cross. So I can't love God, the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't love Him if I don't love His kingdom, His plan, His purpose, His will. Now, 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 I am quick to tell you that my spirit loves it. My flesh does not so much sometimes. And if you think receiving the Holy Ghost means suddenly you're, not, you're never again going to have problems with your flesh, then you again don't read the Bible. Because that's not what the book says. 
Paul said, the things I would do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. In me, that is, in my flesh, well, it's no good thing. I don't know how to do what I want to do and not do what I don't want to do. And then he finally said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank my God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. <coughs> he is the deliverer. He will deliver me from the power of my flesh. And if you think your flesh is you, then again, you're not reading the Bible. Your body, as presently constituted, cannot go to heaven. It can go to hell, but it cannot go to heaven. This sinful nature, the power of sin in our flesh, according to Romans 7 and Romans 8 and other places, that power of sin in my flesh cannot go to heaven. So my body has to be transformed. This earthly, this this. Temporary body is going to be changed and I'm going to receive a glorified body. The same kind of body that Jesus had after his resurrection that allowed him to walk through walls. And yet he could still eat. He could be touched, etc., etc., etc. And he could be here and then whenever he chose he could be over there and he wouldn't have to walk there. You say, oh boy, preacher, you're out there. No. You see... I've got an educated brain. And that educated brain has considered the facts. And when I consider God and the works of His hands and the heavens which are His testimony, I have concluded that the Bible is the Word of God and whatever it says, I have decided I'm going to believe it. I like what Billy Graham said years ago when someone questioned him about some minute supposed problem with the Bible. He said, oh, you're misunderstanding. I am not an expert in the Bible, and I am not a theologian. I'm just a student of the Bible. I'm not here to critique the Bible. I'm here just to follow it. Amen. So I have decided, and it's worked really good for about 58 years now, that the Bible is the Word of God and I'm going to follow it and I'm not going to fuss with God over whether it's true. Now whether or not I can always get my flesh to come under subjection so that I can live what the Word says, that's another story altogether. But there's never a point in here or in here that I am questioning the truthfulness of it. Big difference. I'm not arguing with God about what He said. I believe what He said is true. The difficulty is learning how to let His Spirit help me to be free from the power of flesh so that my soul can decide and be empowered to do what His Word says. So here we are. So you think you know where we're going and no, no, we're not. That's the internet. Praise God. <laughs> I don't know if I can find it real good, real quick. Somebody, somebody put on Facebook a, uh, a little thing that I, I, I saved. Oh, there it is. It's a, it was a graphic of a moon. 
and, uh, and, and, and this is what it reads. Uh, first woman on the moon, colon. Houston, we have a problem. Houston says, what? Never mind. Houston says, what's the problem? Nothing. Houston says, please tell us. I'm fine. And if you've been married very long, you know the words, I'm fine, never are true. Because if she's fine, she never has to say, I'm fine. And brethren, if you haven't learned that yet, you, oh God, have mercy. I wouldn't want to be in your house. Woo, Lord, have mercy. you got to be frustrated out of your mind. So, I, I love my wife. Uh, but, but you have, at the party they talked about having to learn how to speak bishop. Well, if you want to be happily married, you got to learn how to speak female but the language is always evolving it's always changing always so you you got to stay focused you can't ever get smug and think I got it because you don't got it you're not ever going to have it I mean, that's how God can expect us to stay married to one woman our entire lives. Because He's made sure she won't let us ever get bored. If you're taking her for granted, you don't even know who her is. The her you're taking for granted isn't the her you're married to. It's somebody you've created in your own mind. Because you can't take your wife for granted. You can take her for granted. Whoever you have fantasized and created in your fantasy as whatever. You can take her for granted. You can't take your wife for granted. So therefore, <laughs> so, so here, here we are. Being saved is so much easier than being married. Because in God, His yea means yea, and His nay means nay. I'm telling you the truth. It is far easier to be a Christian than it is to be a husband. Because yes doesn't always mean yes, and no doesn't always mean no. The inflection on the word tells you more closely what the meaning is. But if you're only listening to a word, because that word is what you're wanting to hear, things are about to go downhill because you just blew it. But not so with God. It's not hard to be a Christian. Some people think it is. It's hard to be a religionist called a Christian. It's not hard to have a relationship with God. Because it's pretty obvious. <laughs> when I get up in the morning, and out of my mouth comes, I love you, Father. Thank you, Father. 
if there's not an instant response, I'm going, okay, I got some work to do here this morning because something, something's a little off here. Because <laughs> Acts 17, real quickly, some of you know these verses. I'm going to read them real quick, some of them at least. Uh, these are great. Paul's on Mars Hill talking to the Athenians who come to hear and tell some new thing. And, and, and he's talking about God. He said, verse 23, and I'm reading real quickly, Acts 17, 23. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed to the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily, not H-A-P-P-I-L-Y, happily, but happily, if by chance, if, okay, if, if, if perchance they might feel after Him, and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. Notice the audience of these words. They were unbelieving, and I mean they, did, they, were, they were Greeks who did not believe in Christ. They did not believe in Jehovah God. They believed in heathen. They believed in, in, in they were heathens. They believed in, in many, many gods. And they had idols up on top of uh, <coughs> Mars Hill to all these gods. In fact, that's what got Paul so stirred up. They had an altar there. They were covering all their bases. To the unknown God was the inscription on that altar. They didn't know God. And so he's telling these unbelievers that we all, we all live and move and I have our being in Him. But we don't know it. Why? Because to be aware Spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, aware, in communication with the God that fills all space, that we all live and move and have our being in. There's something that has to happen on my part. I have to be feeling after Him. And that doesn't, that's not braille, but it is spiritual braille. It is, it is feeling to find Him. Now he's talking about what unbelievers can do to find God. It, they're in darkness, but they, they can feel after God and sense His presence and know that He's there. There's a few of you in here tonight. You wonder what in the world was going on in this service. What's wrong with you people? You're a bunch of emotional addicts. No, no. No, that, see, that's the problem. It appears to be emotional, but it's not emotion at all. It's spirit. And we, we are fellowshipping with the, with the Spirit of God. John, John chapter 4, Jesus said, God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. And one of those things that's true is, God is a spirit. 
And you cannot fellowship with God unless you're willing to fellowship with the supernatural. If you want a religion with no supernatural in it, then you want a religion with no God in it. But he said, I can feel after him. I can be an unbeliever that knows nothing about God. The unknown God. That meant they were not stupid. They were ignorant of the true God. They worshipped or had an altar to an unknown God. And yet these that did not know God, Paul said, even they could feel after him. And find Him. Because He's not very far from any one of us. Well how can He be? He fills all space. Heavens and the heavens of heavens cannot contain the O God. God fills all space. He can't move. There's no place for Him to go. <laughs> he fills all space. Space we know of and space we don't know about. He is infinite. So there's no place for Him to go. So you, you can sit on a bar stool, or you can sit in a crack house, or you can go to a house of prostitution, or you can, you, you can do all kind of other things, and God is there. But you don't know He's there. Because first of all, He can't go anyplace else. But you can find Him wherever you are if you're willing to feel after Him. Right here. You're feeling after him. He's not very far. Now, I've heard Brother Morgan preaching to you, and I've heard the pastor and these other men of God preach to you. And, and, and uh, Come on, how can you come to church and, and not move a muscle? Can, well, I understand what they're trying to do, and, and I agree with the urgency they have in trying to get you to move. But the problem is movement... By people that are not feeling after God. It's just movement. I say that again. You can get up and dance and shout and run around all you want to. Clap your hands, raise your hands, make all the noise you want to. But if you're doing all of that from a basis of a life that's not feeling after God. It's worthless. It's like the, the dad that told his son to sit down. And he said, no. And he said, sit down. No, sit down. And finally, they had a little uh, meeting of the minds, and so the boy sat down. He said, well, I'm sitting down, but I'm standing up inside. <laughs> and so, men of God, doing what the Bible says, you said, that's not what the Bible says. Oh, really? Then you haven't read the book of Psalms. How many times have you heard the, read the phrase in the, in the book of Psalms? Praise ye the Lord. Check the tense of the verb. It is in the imperative tense. It is the tense of command. Praise ye Lord, the Lord is a command. And men of God have the right and the responsibility to command you to praise the Lord. They're just trying to hype us up. No, you're the one wanting and needing to be hyped. They're trying to obey God. But the problem is, you, you, you know, maybe you sit there, maybe you don't. But, but again, the problem is, 
You can do all you want, but if in here you're not feeling after God, you sit down and say, okay, I did what you said. What did it do? Well, nothing. Didn't do a thing for you. Didn't do a thing for the service. Didn't do a thing for you. Hadn't done anything for your home. Hadn't done anything for your life. Nothing. Why? Because you did motion that was not a reflection of what's going on in here. You weren't feeling after God. You know, God is so amazing. <laughs> He's so amazing. It's not about education or age or your background or whoever you are, whether you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth or you had to dip your food up with your finger and eat it. We were in Blantyre, Malawi, Africa in summer of 84. We were there with the Brother Grossbach for the dedication of the headquarters church building in Blantyre, in, in Malawi, Africa, city of Blantyre. He was four years and ten months old. I was sitting on the platform. His mother was sitting on the second row. He was sitting on the first row. I wasn't paying all that much attention. You could feel the presence of God, but I didn't have a clue what the words were to the songs they were singing. But oh my, 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 if you've never had the privilege to go to Africa and hear those folks sing praises to God, the harmony, apparently everybody can sing and everybody can sing harmony because the whole church becomes a choir. And there's rarely any music. It's all acapella. And your goosebumps have goosebumps. And, and we're sitting there and I, I don't know a word that's being said, but... Oh my, is the Spirit of the Lord manifested in that place. And then somebody nudged me. And I looked down. And standing on the front row was my not yet five-year-old son with his hands raised, tears streaming down his face, and his tongue, he had stammering lips already. And the assistant general superintendent, a Malawian, came over. The Lord wouldn't let me pray for him. Wouldn't let his mother or his brother pray for it. But, but he, the, 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 the Malawi assistant general superintendent came over and laid hands on Joel. And he began to speak with other tongues. Not yet five. Well, he didn't know. He didn't understand what was going on. That's the point. If your spirit is feeling after God, your mind doesn't have to comprehend everything that's going on. Because God is God. three and I know that little ones can be really restless in church and we get so weary of wrestling with them and just just trying to keep them quiet keep them occupied 
we don't think they're getting anything out of church, so we conclude we're not getting anything out of church. <laughs> that is a terrible, terrible mistake. Because you have no idea what those ears are listening to. They can seem to be so occupied, but you don't have any idea what they're hearing. They're listening. They're listening. And if you'll pay attention over the next few days or week or two, they'll pop out with something that'll let you know, whoa. They were paying attention, probably better than I was. So, the reason it's so easy to be a Christian. Now, notice, first of all, it's not just about feeling. But I love God. He loves me. He said that. He can't stop loving me. Well, how can he send you to hell? He doesn't. I send myself to hell when I choose not to follow his word. He can't violate his word. Then he'd be a liar and he'd cease to be God. So he can't stop loving me. But I can say I love God. I can say I love God. I actually can learn how to Spend some time in His presence on my schedule as it's convenient to me. I tell you what. If my wife said, uh, well, why don't we go out on a, a date? And I said, well, let me check my calendar here and see if I can work you in. I'll have to turn up the heat in the house because it's going to get really cold in there. In fact, she couldn't wait any longer. She, I think it was last night, she says, Have you noticed such and such on such and such a date in the calendar? I said, Yeah. Well, you know what that is? No, but I figured you'd tell me when you're ready to. Well, I've got this and this plan for us. Okay. Fine with me. I didn't say, I can't, I can't do that. Uh, you're down the list here and whatever. No, 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 no. I put Jesus first. I love you. But you don't come second. They're second. Well, this is your job. No, it's not. It's my life. And thank God we share this together. I'd be going to Singapore whether she was going or not, but I wouldn't enjoy it near as much. So here again is the point. There's two ways I can look at my life and always know where I am in God. What is my attitude about spending time with Jesus? And is it okay with me that I can't feel His presence easily? One. And two, where in my priorities does his purpose and his kingdom fit in my life? Where does it fit? I'm reading Mark chapter 4, verse 14. The sower soweth the word. 
This is Jesus explaining the parable of the sower. And, and these are they that fell by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness and, and have no root in themselves. And so endure only but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. They're willing to be a Christian as long as everything's going fine. But as soon as things aren't going like they expect them to go, they're out of here. Did they really hear the word? Yes. Did they really get baptized? Yes. Did they really receive the Holy Ghost? Yes. But they never let the roots of God's love get very deep in their lives. So the moment that trials and temptation comes because of the word, they're offended. Up. But that's not most of us. Most of those people, they don't survive that long. But here's the people that can sit here forever and don't want to acknowledge anything's wrong. Verse 18. And these are they which are sown among thorns, which such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold and some sixty and some a hundred. And he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested. Neither was anything kept secret but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. In Luke, this is the way Luke recorded it. Luke 8.13 They own the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy. And these have no root. Which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they, which when they have heard, go forth, and are choked with cares, and riches, and pleasures of this life, bringing no fruit to perfection. And the word perfection there means maturity. In other words, the work of the word in their life never matures enough that there's fruit. In them and through them. Feel the presence. Hear and respond to the word. But there's so much stuff. That they've let be mixed with the word in their lives. That there's never any profit to the kingdom of God out of their lives. You see, the religious come to church to be saved because it's an obligation. And the religious pray because it's an obligation. 
or if they don't pray, they're not going to be saved. And religious give because it's an obligation. And the religious live right because it's an obligation. And once those obligations are fulfilled, their time is theirs, their life is theirs, it's their life. You know, we're living, if you're not, if you're not paying attention, we're living in a time where people who believe the Bible are becoming more and more outcasts. And some of you aren't going to survive that. And the reason you're not going to survive that is what you're mixing in with your heart rather than just the purity of the Word. When the Lord said, listen again, verse 22 of, of, of Mark 4, For there is nothing hid which shall not be made manifest. Neither was anything kept secret but that, would, that it should come abroad. So the point is, this isn't like trying to figure out if your wife's yes means yes or her no means no. No, 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 no. That's not it at all. With the Lord, there's no question. If you love Him, you want to be with Him. You want to talk to Him. It doesn't have to be on your knees. It could be riding down the road or starting Tuesday morning sitting on an airplane for about 30 hours. Or walking down the mall or laying on your bed. You, because you're, you're with Him all the time. He's with you all the time. It's easy to talk to Him. I don't have to use these and thous in some religious voice. There's a few preachers here I need to work on. Because I, I have a hard time when a preacher uses a different voice and a different way of talking when he's preaching than when he is talking to me. Because that just smacks a little bit too much of performance to me. Oh, praise God. I didn't call any names, did I? No. We got a couple of brethren that I, I, I want somebody to give them some CPR because it sounds like they can't breathe. Because that's not preaching, that's culture. And in Canada, they say they end a lot of their sentences with a, but preachers end sentences with a. Uh. God uh, said, uh. "Now, if I tried to talk to you like that, you'd go, are you okay?" No, I'm not okay because I don't talk uh like that uh. You say, uh, preacher, you, 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 you're embarrassing me. No, you're embarrassing yourself. The ministry's not a performance. We're not putting on a show. It's not entertainment. We're communicating the gospel. I've heard, had guys tell me, I don't like to hear me preach. I understand why you don't like to hear you preach. Because it reminds you that that's not really you. I just, let's just put it in there.
So here's, here's the thing, folks. There's no mystery to this. You think it is because we want it to be. We want it to be a mystery so we could be like the guy with one talent. You know, I knew all about you. You're a hard man and you have, bad, you have hard expectations. So I just protected this one gift you gave me because you're hard. Yeah, you see? That's our expectations of God. He's hard and living, being a Christian is hard. No, it's not. Being a, a, a Christian according to the Bible is not hard. He, he, everything is manifested. If I'm willing to go through my day and not fellowship with His presence at all and not be able to have any of the, His presence manifested in my life all day long, if I'm willing to do that, something is wrong. And if I am fellowshipping with Him, and I'm not loving what He loves enough to participate with Him in His kingdom, ah, I may have the first part right, but I don't have the second part right. Something's wrong. Well, why would it be wrong? Let's, uh, well, the question according to Jesus is, what am I mixing the Word with? The Bible says that some did not believe because they did not mix faith with the Word. So here's the problem. Faith is without works is dead. So faith is true faith is always manifested. There's always results from true faith. Not necessarily immediately. But when you've got true faith and it's working, you've got peace. I'm, a, I, I'm trusting you, Father. I'm involved with you. This is going to work. You, you can't fail. I believe in you, Father, because it's true. But if I'm not mixing faith with the Word, I'm mixing my worries and cares and fears of life and my desire for to gain without seeking the kingdom first. <laughs> Come on, preacher. You've just been a little unfair. I've got a very involved job. and It takes a lot of time. And, 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 and I just don't have a lot of time left over for God afterwards. Oh, so instead of seeking first the kingdom so all this can be added to you, you're seeking first the additions and ignoring the kingdom. Because you see, as a child of God, your job is what you do. It's not who you are. And as a child of God, your source is not your job. It's your Father. And He may use your job, but He's got so many other different ways to supply your needs. So if you're going to choose to work 12, 14, 16 hours a day... If that's what the Lord's telling you to do, God bless you. But if you're working all those hours out of fear or because you're trying to make it all happen yourself because you don't have faith to trust your Father, then no wonder you're not involved with this kingdom. I'm not trying... Some of you are looking at that's Boy, you're being so negative, preacher. I'm not being negative at all. I mean, it's like a gas gauge. If your gas gauge says below eighth of a tank, you're going to say, well, I don't believe that. I'm just going to keep on driving because 
I, th- this has got to be something wrong with that gauge. And when you're sitting on the side of the road waiting for somebody to bring you a can of gas, you're going to say, I wish I would have paid attention or believed what that gauge says. And God has gauges in your spiritual life. Are you going to believe what the gauges read? It's all manifest. Are you going to believe what the gauges read? Well, you know, I'm, I, I need a new husband. He's this one I got. He is a whoosh. I need a new wife because she's just not what. Yeah, you know, people that think that kind of stuff, first of all, they don't love God and they're not involved with the kingdom. Because those kind of thoughts are only about the me first people. Not God first, it's me first. I deserve to be happy. And this person isn't making me happy. So I've got to find somebody that will make me happy. Good luck because you're going to find somebody with the same attitude. And you're not going to make them happy and you'll have divorce number two out of the way. And like the woman in the Bible, after five times, you'll just start living with them. It's cheaper. Because then when you find it, you'll, you'll learn the signs and you'll find out real quickly, you're not going to make me happy. So i got to go find me somebody else. Oh, Jesus, help us. So what are you mixing the word with in your life? Is there fruit? The Bible says the reason there's no fruit is because we're mixing with the word in our hearts the cares of this life, the cares of this world. This is Mark 4, 19. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in. The deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in. All of these choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. Nothing happens in your life because of the word. If the word, the seed of the word has been sown in your heart and you've received that word by faith and you learn to fellowship with the Father in His Spirit, you fellowship with the Father and you keep this stuff out of your heart, you will be fruitful. God will supply the needs of your, of your needs, of your family needs. You'll be happy. You, you'll be motivated. You'll have purpose in your life. You will enjoy life. You will have abundant life. Not just be, being alive, but you'll have abundant life because you've got things in their proper divine order in your life. When things are not in divine order, you are not going to be happy because things aren't going to go like you want them to. And thank God for some of you that just hang on in spite of the fact that your life isn't what the Lord wants it to be. And when I say He wants it to be, I'm not speaking expectation. You've got to, No, no, no. He's promised you things. Do you understand that? Do you understand the Lord has promised you things? And whenever He gives a promise, it's His, it's his desire to fulfill that promise. 
He said, you don't have to seek after these things. The Gentiles seek after these things. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is your Father's pleasure to bless you, to give you peace and joy and happiness. To enable you to to live a life without condemnation. To have purpose in your life. To be excited about getting up in the morning. Rather than dreading the day because i got to go work some more because I've made all these bills i got to pay. First John 2. I know what time it is and I'm trying to quit. First John 2. Verse 15. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I remind you, this was written by the Apostle John, the Apostle of Love. And we all know that love doesn't say these kind of things. Again, you don't read your Bible much, do you? Because the Bible is full of love. That speaks just like this to people. Because when you care about somebody. You tell them the truth. You don't tell them what what they want to hear. Because you love them. You tell them what they need to hear. Because you love them. So listen. Love not the world. Neither things are in the world. If any man love the world. The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. And the pride of life is not of the Father. He doesn't fellowship with that. It is of the world. And the world passeth away. And the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You know... Jesus in the Gospels was a little bit more indirect. Because that was all before the Holy Ghost was poured out, you see. But after people received the Holy Ghost, Paul and Peter and John and those guys that wrote the the epistles, they were a lot more direct because they were speaking to people with the Holy Ghost. They wrote that stuff to the whole, to people with the Holy Ghost. John, first John two wasn't written to people that don't know God. It was written to people that say they know God. And so John is giving them a gauge. Here's the gauge: If you love the world, your spiritual gauge is empty. If you love the Father, your spiritual gauge is full. If you're somewhere in the middle because you can't make up your mind, oh God, help you. And I know, I know what the devil says. He said it to me so many times. If I had a $100 for every time the devil said this something along this line to me, I'd be one of the wealthiest men there is, and that's no exaggeration. If you really give yourself completely to God, you won't even have a life anymore, and you will be so miserable. And you know he tells us that. That is a lie. Because when you give yourself fully to the Father, you don't just have life anymore. You have abundant life. No fear, 
no worry, peace, contentment, joy, purpose, fellowship with the Father. You, you are a, 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 a fellow laborer with the Father in His kingdom. You get to see stuff. You even sometimes get to do stuff that is so far out there from the, from the human standpoint, uh, the human ability standpoint, that it's just mind-boggling. You, you let me participate with this? You let me do this? Yeah. Yeah, why? Because you love me. And you love my purpose. And so therefore, I'm going to do some great things through you and say some great things to you. You're going to see some fruit that's going to blow your mind. It'll be so awesome. When God uses you to see an alcoholic completely delivered, a drug addict completely set free, someone in witchcraft's life completely changed, somebody's living a life of perversion, absolutely delivered and set on a straight course. When you see broken marriages put back together, peace and happiness come into homes, when you see those things happen, you go, wow, God, you are amazing. And you let me have a small part to play in that. And I don't mean me, the preacher. I mean me, the child of God, that's put him first. Real quickly, Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 16. I'm going to read it on the screen and let's see how, oh, I can see it. See if it stays that big. I'm going to go fast. I need you to help me. I don't have this written down on the notes. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary or they're at war, the one to the other or with the other. So that you cannot do the things that you would when you let that war go on unchecked and you don't decide who's going to win. You're one miserable person. Because you're pulled by the flesh this way and you're pulled by the spirit this way and you're, you, you, you convince yourself you're the victim. No, you're not the victim. You're just not willing to make a decision because God cannot, will not violate you His will, your will because He has bound himself for this dimension called temporal time to not violate a man's will. We're all going to be held eternally accountable by the way we used our will. So therefore, he will not interfere with your will. But after you make a choice, he can step in and help you in ways that you can't even comprehend. Only after you decide who's going to win. Spirit or flesh. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works, here, here, now, now, here's the way we read this. Now these are the don'ts. So thou shalt not. Well, you need to read it because there's nothing in this list that says thou shalt not. 
Now the works of the flesh are manifest which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envying, murderers, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Other which I tell you before as I have also told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Wait, brother, right, right there it says don't. Really? Can you find it in English? It's not in the Greek either. Well, what is that list? It's another gauge on the dashboard of your spiritual life. How much are you involved with works of the flesh? Well, I, there's a bunch of those I don't do. So? Are you doing some of them? If you're doing some of them, that's how much you're letting your flesh have control in your life. But the fruit of the Spirit, is, that, is there any place here that says thou shalt? No. He doesn't say you shall do this. He said the, the, the Spirit will do this. That's what fruit is. The Spirit will produce this in you. That's another gauge. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. What does that mean? I look at that and I see how far on the Spirit meter I'm giving myself over to the Spirit. Because to the degree to which I'm giving myself to the Spirit, the Spirit will live those things through me. Say anything about shall and shall not. What it did say was, if you let these two forces, the sinful nature of your flesh and the Spirit of God that indwells you, so that's not talking about sinners, it's talking about born-again people. Galatians is written to the church, not to the world. If you let these two forces go in you and you're just, just passively letting them do whatever they want to do, then you're going to be registered on both meters, but you're not going to be happy because registering on both meters means this. You can't do the things you want to do. They're contrary one to the other. You can't do it. So you're not happy. You don't have peace. You don't enjoy church. You don't enjoy the Word of God. Because I don't want to hear anything that's telling me I've got to make a choice. Guess what? I got the mic. You got to make a choice. I'm closing John 15, 1. Here's another indicator. Another indicator. All these indicators. It's not a mystery. Being a Christian is not a mystery. The Bible is full of things that the Scripture says if this is going on, then you're not walking with Him like you're supposed to. If this is going on, then you are. And, I, and I'm supposed to care enough to look at that and go, Oh God, I don't want to be like this. I want to be like this. But I can't make this change myself. But Father, I decide I want to be like this. Now whatever you want or need to do in my life to bring this about, I, I will for it to be so. I'm the true vine, my father's the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. 
And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, or prunes it, is the Greek word, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken. That word clean in the Greek is exactly the same Greek word translated uh, purge in the previous verse. Same word. Now ye are clean or purged or pruned through the word which I have spoken unto you. In other words, if you want to be pleasing to God, you want to hear the word. I like to get on my feet and shout. Rejoice in God. But oh God, my soul craves somebody that's going to preach me to my face and say, Okay, Lord, let me not be, come on. I'm not being honest with myself or you here. I'm letting things go on that I'm not acknowledging. I'm fellowshipping with things that's not of your word and your spirit. And they're having a negative impact on my relationship with you. It becomes harder and harder and harder for me, more and more difficult for me to easily feel your presence. Don't let me accept that, Father. Don't let me, don't let me agree to live like that. Don't let me be willing to live like that. If you're willing to fellowship with me, why would I not want to fellowship with you, Father? Verse 4, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. See? He didn't say, go be fruitful. How do I do that? I don't know how to do that. Brother, brother, brother Sharp's lesson on Thursday night is one of the greatest I've ever heard on the subject. It is absolutely 100% the truth. There's only always going to be a gap between our ability and our responsibility to let God use us to reach the lost. And those that will that will only stay in the safe place, as he taught so eloquently Thursday night, they're never going to experience the greatness and goodness of God. But if you're willing to step out of your comfort zone, into this place where you cannot do it yourself, then he will do it through you. And you will see great and mighty things happen through your life. It's not so-and-so's healing crusade. It's not some big arena filled with 20,000 people so that everybody can watch one guy on a stage perform X, Y, Z and get the applause of men. Oh, isn't he awesome? The Bible says these signs shall follow them that believe, not the specially gifted few. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. And the last one of those is, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It's not some guy on a stage in front of 20,000 people that God's called to heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out devils. It is every believer. I don't know how to do that. Neither do I. But I'm going to step outside the realm of my ability toward my responsibility in that gap there where there's only God and He's going to come through every time. Abide in me and I and you as branch cannot bear fruit of itself except that it abide in the vine no more than can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Abide, abide, abide. How many times does it say abide? What does it mean to abide? It doesn't mean to visit. No, no. It's not about visiting the Father every day. 
And I'm going to visit the Father every day. No, no, no. I'm going to abide in the Father every day. He and I are going to go wherever I go. Wherever He's going, that's where I want to go. If I have to go to work, I'm not going to work by myself. It's an amazing thing to watch people that are faithful to God get promoted to jobs they don't have the qualifications to do because the favor of God is upon them. And if you've never experienced that, then you need, to, you need to question yourself exactly how is it I'm doing my work through my ability or God. Well, I know how to do this. Good, that's, that's your problem right there. You know how to do it. You don't need God. That's exactly what you're saying. But if you acknowledge, I can't do this. I don't care if I think I know how to do it. How many times have you tried to do something you knew how to do and it turned into a mess? Why? Because I know how to do it. I don't need God to help me do this. I know how to do that. Really? Then you never have any problems on your job and everything you try to do. It just falls into place without any difficulties. But I don't need God. I know how to do this. I am the vine, you the branches, he that abideth in me. And I in him, the same bringing forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth of the branch and is withered. Men gather them, cast them in the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you. My words, what, what, what's all in his words? His plan, his purpose, his kingdom. That's all in his words. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done to you. Herein, herein, in all of this, this is how my Father is glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. In other words, being his disciple means you love him and you want a fellowship with him and therefore you love what he loves, which is his kingdom, his purpose. We're not here to grow a church. We're not here to increase our attendance number. We're not here to have results that we can crow about. We're here to participate with the Father and His kingdom. And some of us are so spiritual, we, we are above that. Well, I'm not going to just pump the numbers up so that, that, that people are happy with that. And I'm not going to see people pray through just, just so I got a report. In other words, you're going to do nothing and find a way to justified because bottom line it's not a question about the numbers increasing and people getting the Holy Ghost because that's going to be the result it's not the goal it's the result it's the result of loving the Father fellowshipping with the Father and loving what the Father loves which is His plan His purpose His kingdom His body His church and the lost and if I love the Father, and if I love and am devoted to what He loves, I'm going to have babies. Because that's what people in love do when everything is healthy. Hannah said, give me children, lest I die. I'm sorry, i got a paraphrase for that. Give me children or else I die. Why? Now I know, I know the parable of the, uh, of the seed that fell on good ground. Produced, some produced 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. Some 
you know, the guy with the one talent didn't have to produce but one more talent. The guy with five produced five. The guy with two produced two. All the guy with one had to do was produce one. He didn't do that. So the point is this. So are you telling me that I have to be a witness and win people to God to be saved? No. That's just a gauge telling you how you're doing. It's just a gauge on your dashboard that lets you know how you do it. Because religion has never produced life. And if you're participating with religion and in religion, there's not going to be any fruit. Oh, if you've got one of those magnetic personalities, I've got one of those. I'm one of those magnets that repel. Right. Yeah. So if you've got one of those magnetic personalities that draw, I feel sorry for you. Because you can build a crowd with your own personality. Absalom knew how to get people on his side. Woo! Absalom knew how to win people to himself. And 30,000 young men died because of the judgment that fell upon Absalom and those that followed him. He knew how to draw people to his personality. He knew how to get people through his own humanity. And if you're following a personality, uh, not good for you or the personality, when it's really easy, it's not hard. I just love God. And if I spend time with God, what He loves is I'm going to start loving. I'm going to love what He loves. And when I begin to love what He, because I love Him, I begin to love what He loves, it's going to be the most normal thing in the world. The Lord only knows how many people I have officiated in their wedding in the last 47 years of ministry because I was in the ministry two years before I came here, so 47 plus. But on all the times and all those ramblings I've done in those weddings where I've gone off on some tangent talking about this, that, and the other, not one time did I ever tell those people, now you see here, you're getting married, you go have children. Not one time did I, have, did I do that. I didn't have to do that. Because all the vows they made that day were about binding the relationship together if they meant what they said through the difficult times that are coming. <clears throat> and if you get married and you honestly don't believe there's going to be difficult times ahead, there's going to be some days you're going to love her so much you... You feel like you could eat her up, and the next day you wish you had it. <laughs> it's just like that, you see. And vice versa, ladies. Excuse me. I mean, I, there's not one way here. But there's no lace on my drawers, so I'm speaking from a man's perspective, okay? But you understand, I understand there's two perspectives here, okay? All right? But the point, again, is if you love him, 
and you feel after him and you learn how awesome it is to fellowship with him, who he is will begin to be formed in you. And when he begins to form himself in you, you will become more and more like him, which means you're going to more and more love what he loves and hate what he hates. And then you're going to want to do what he does with him and say what he says with him. And you're going to want to be a conduit. And then things are going to happen. Wonderful things. One of the greatest mistakes that men of God make, I'd have you stand, but you would stop listening. So I, just understand, in my mind, you're standing right now because I'm finished. <laughs> One of the greatest mistakes that men of God make when they become a pastor is they think pastoring means I've got to make these people perfect. I've got to solve all their problems. I got to fix everything that's wrong with them. Well, when you look in the mirror and you can say all that about yourself, then you can work on everybody else just like that. But since I'm absolutely confident you're not going to see that when you look in the mirror, why don't you get off their backs and lead them into the harvest field because there's joy in the harvest. And people that experience joy in the harvest want to become more and more like Jesus. And it's a wonderful cycle. It's a wonderful cycle. But if you're trying to fix all their problems and you're trying to get them all perfected, <sighs> there's a reason why God called human beings to do the preaching. Because we're not perfect and we're never going to be perfect. And when we love others like we love ourselves, which is the second commandment, we're going to accept the fact that people we are ministering to aren't perfect and are never going to be perfect. But we just keep loving them and letting God love us and love through us. And he does all kind of wonderful things. You can stand now and let's praise the Lord together. Come on, let's praise him together. Let's give him thanks together. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, 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 Jesus. I'm closing with these words, literally. I'm closing with these words. Thus saith the Lord. God bless you. Please greet our guests. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.